Wednesday, middle of spooky season. Spooky season's almost over, which is kind of rattling me. It feels like October blew by. I haven't had enough. I haven't been spooked enough yet. I had no ghosts. I don't know. Oh, Pete brought me spooky cookies. That's not spooky, though. That's sweet. That was like a Valentine's move that you just did for me, Pete. (laughs) That was very nice. That was very Christmas. Christmas is for cookies. I think we all agree that Christmas is cookie season. Like, as a 24-7, you know, seven days a week cookie guy, uh, I got to tell you that it's all the time. But in terms of specialty cookies, like, it doesn't Pumpkin spice is all we have. And now we've kind of overdone it with pumpkin spice where um, as a huge fan of it, we've just turned too many things into pumpkin spice. Like, I don't want a pumpkin spice donut. No offense to the makers of it. Maybe a muffin. That's it. That's the max. Anyways, Ailish uh, Forfar, you stuck around. Um, can you believe that Hi. you used to do... Oh, that's loud. I'm not usually sitting in this seat. Yeah, that's right. Get out of my chair. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, can you believe that we used to do four hours? Well, I'm technically doing three and a half. That's close what I'm saying. Four this, today. this was just your normal. I, that's why I don't even feel bad because it's a reminder of your roots. This is where you came from, okay? Yeah. JD, it's nice to be back. I'm, I'm you really sure... can't figure out this chair. Like, you're in I chair know. hell. This like, is... this is just get caught. It's fine. Your chair I is fine. I moved over to Justin's seat, and it's a different view over here. He's Josiah. Well, no, Justin oh, on my right. show. Oh, yeah, but show. I know it's Josiah. <laughs> I, was like, okay. I was like, I wanted so badly to call him Justin for the rest of the show, and then I remember uh, that you were talking about Cuthbert. How are things? It's good. It's yeah. good. It's you're good busy. To see. I'm very busy. You are busy. Now you're like trying to make people move into your home without establishing a new home. Oh. That seems like such a bad strategy. By I had you. to get out of the apartment. All the listeners that remember when we were on mm-hmm. uh, the summer with all the issues with my apartment. It's time. I've oh. given my two week months and I'm out. Speaking of spooky season, this is, you're doing it. You're giving someone like the haunted home. Oh, my place is certainly haunted. That's what I'm saying. You're doing the thing it's in bad. spooky season. You have the like broken AC, the floods. The walls are, are ripped apart. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, literally the walls when you cut out of the elevator are torn apart. There's mold uh, insulation on the floor. Like people are mm. coming to view my apartment every I don't know, 30 minutes. And then they go, who the hell would live here? And then they're like, why would I live in this haunted house? Yeah. Except for this is how the haunted house shows work. You either have the like glamour home Mm. that people go, why is the glamour home (laughs) so cheap? Or the family leverages themselves to the point where they just like pay too much for the glamour home. And that's why they, Mm. that's how they build around like not just selling the house Mm -hmm. that everybody's dying in. But then you also have the one like yours, which is, it's a desperate family. You know, it's it's people that are on the outs, and that's what you got to get. You know, you got to get some you got to get some pores in there. Well, you you know what? Like, <laughs> so get, my landlord you get some desperates. My landlord's probably happy that I'm giving my two months because she's yeah. now increased the rent by six hundred dollars for this disaster mm. hellhole that I live in. Toronto is such a six hundred dollars more than yeah. I was previously paying, and I I was waiting for someone to leave my apartment. They were late on the showing, and I was standing in the hallway, and they came out, and I was like, "Hey, how's it going?" And he's like, well, this is like the 12th place I've looked at. And I was like, oh, is it like, is it bad? He's like, I offered um, $200 over the asking price and six months in advance. And they said no, six months in advance. 
and over the asking price to rent this condo, and they and it was not competitive enough. So what do you like? Uh, I don't even know what you do. No, well, you you should know because you're leaving yeah, that apartment. Um, don't worry about that this, yet. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, future Ailish is really going to be. I'm just going to stay at the studio because I'm here all the time. Of, yeah, okay? when she's out of the haunted apartment Whatever. and going. That's a problem down the road. I like how I all just, these people are telling you these things. Like, hey, it's a nightmare out here. I might be working on like, stuff. I'm not going to give my new addresses out on the air. The simps said, are after. Who said you need to give up the address? No, no, I, like no, that I have you some things in the work. I have some things in the work. I'm not going to be homeless in one month. Okay. Okay. Mm, we'll do I trust you though? No. For sure. Mm, I don't know if I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. At least you get away. You get to go to Dartmouth Homecoming. Yeah. I'm it's, going tomorrow. Yeah. It's gonna be great. That is getting nice. out of town. Getting out of Dodge. Oh. Heading it, states. You get to get on a plane without a mask. I'm gonna. Oh, I don't know if you can. Actually. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Really? Because I was on one a month ago and you had to wear one. Yeah, I know. And now oh, since then it's it? done. Yeah. Wow, I'm just going to breathe in that I, airplane oh, air. Oh, that sweet airplane air. No, it's just like, to me, it's honestly, you know what it was? Now. Is I'd, You'd like fall asleep on the plane. And if it fall below your nose, they'd like wake no, you up. No, they wouldn't. Yes, they would. That's a lot. Yes. <laughs> God, I hate that. They would. Okay. And I know this it because happened it happened to me. And I woke up startled. Yeah. In... A, Someone's a, like, a fury. Uh, sir. A fury. I see your mouth. <laughs> a fury. No, they couldn't even see my mouth. It was below my nose. Oh, God. And I got woken up over below nose. Well, I don't have to do that, thankfully. Oh. Anyway, so yes, I congratulations on that. What are you doing at homecoming? Um, are you the homecoming no, queen? No They're fun like, will oh, happy had, I'll tell you that. Here. Actually, the, the girls have two games. There's the homecoming football game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually, this is why I'm kind of going. I was asked to host the oh. 50th anniversary of oh. Dartmouth Women in Sport. Oh. And big panel. It's a big, it's a big event, so I'm going to get to they host that. They couldn't get Zach Lowe? Uh, no, they wanted a woman because okay. women, uh, it, we are celebrating women, and I know that that's a rare thing in sports, so I'm very pl- pleased to be able to do that. But yeah, they had, uh, they asked me to host this panel. It's going to be good, so I'm, some good... Uh, Way to go, dog. Yeah, it's a big deal. I'm yeah, excited. that is a big deal. And they're deal. flying me down there. I'm just yeah. like, yeah, whatever. It's a big deal. They're no flying you down? Yeah, it's a big deal, J.D. I'm you, first class? I'm upgraded. No. Come on. All right, you're in coach. But I'm hey, guess what? Boston, Keith Yandel, like we found hour. out yesterday, he's flying coach oh, now. Yeah? Like, Sportsnet's flying him coach everywhere. Hey, you know what? I'll take it. Yeah. I'll I. You it. know what I got to say? Poor person next to Stewie in coach, if they're flying him <laughs> around. You know, like yeah. Stewie puts his meaty palm on the armrest beside you, and it's like you can't. You're not sharing any. No, there's, space there will him. be no sharing. There's just going to be you in a seat, going, "How did this happen?" But I'm like, Stewie's the guy that gets on the plane for me, and you see him coming, and you're like, "There's no way." And then there's he's no like, way. Hey, there's up, no buddy? way. There's no way. And then he starts looking, you know, at the seat above you, and he's like, uh, "There is that moment where you're like, no, uh, oh, you're, you're here. Oh, yeah. okay, you're sharing. Oh, you're beside me." It's never the pretty girl. There's always one pretty girl on every flight. And it's like mandatory. By you there's, and you're like, yeah. ah, no. there's always got to be one pretty girl or one good-looking guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and usually they're what's airport hot, right? Where you've oh, just yeah. seen. There's, there's a whole thing about airport yeah. romances where you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I look mysterious with my book. I've never read a book yeah. in my life. I'm sitting <laughs> yeah. here with a book and I get my headphones in. I'm not even in. reading it. You don't know where I'm going. Yeah. And it's like this mysterious romance. And then you're like, oh, well, maybe we cross paths on purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe we sit down on the plane and something. We have a conversation. Yeah. They've know. got a connecting flight. Who knows? But the and second I get on a plane, I'm asleep. Like window seat, head down. I wake up when we've landed. Like I don't even get 
takeoff. Yeah. I want to be asleep on every single plane because <laughs> I hate flying because I'm not in control. Oh, you're one of those That's guys. What, oh, yeah, for sure. I the like best flying. flights, the best flights are the ones with the screen where oh, you can I see the flight. Yeah, the the yeah, exactly. Like, either the I'm plane, sleeping or I'm literally like yeah, zooming in. I'm like, thing. ooh, Algeria, what's there? Like yeah, zooming I, into things. That <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> what's in here? What's How far does it take Probably to get to, to Tokyo? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, that is definitely me. I want the plane to land every single time. That's all I think about is... Like, you what know, if we how, stopped off here. No, you know, when you're live betting and it, oh you, you, like your bet, the odds yeah, yeah. change live. I always think about that, but with death. Oh my God. Where I go, JD's hey, dark. the longer we're in the air, the closer we are to the destination, the less likely I'm going to die. I think oh about my, it like that's a, a total. terrible way to live. Like, I bet the under, under all of our deaths. And I'm waiting for the under. I'm. Is it's just a clock. This is a sponsored show, right? No, yeah, it's just the clock is, is running your, down. Your the sponsor? under, the under on death. Keep going, keep rolling. It's like yes, now it's at minus three fifty. Oh, minus three seventy five. <laughs> Let's go. Like this is great. Oh, God. Anyway, that's definitely me. So yeah, Dartmouth Homecoming. You are the keynote speaker. Mm. I'm for the host. All of them's not work. the host. I'm not the speaker. No, I'm hosting the, the panel. Okay, it's, sure. Who's the speakers? I don't know. I don't have them memorized yet. Well, you. I guess I work to this weekend. I just got literally right now. I'll show you my email. I just got an email saying Saturday programming. Yo, it's Here's this the weekend. rundown of the guests. I'm like, I gotta go do this after the show. You should probably do that. Is my advice. I'm on it. As soon as I get out of here, like you're just keeping me hostage. Yeah, okay. All you right. just wanted to bring me on the show so you could talk over me and and crap on the A list. So I'm ready. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you yeah. don't get to do that anymore. No, I must listen, be sad. we're gonna. I am sad. Uh, these guys give me sometimes at the end of the show like uh, quick what we missed. Yeah. And they've gotten pretty good, but Pete is the new you in that like he mm. sends me stories that I just I'm like don't. Who, what is this for? For Pete. Like, hey, what you is, guys, if you ever need to talk, like you need to vent out. You need my number of my therapists. I've been through it with JD. So. Pete, Pete sends me, like, the other day he just sent Mariah Carey is coming to Toronto. Oh, yeah, for a Christmas concert. That's yeah. a great one, Pete. I feel you. Yeah, but to the group. It's a sports show. Oh, this is There's not just even, like, like about... a loose sports connection. Oh. He puts it in our sports group chat. I'm like, anyway, Pete has been fired. Pete's trying times. hard. I love it, though. He's a grinder. I am trying, JD. And that was yeah, you are. The, the Mariah Carey was more like... Let's like go news. together as a group, you know, and yeah, have like a yeah, That's really <laughs> sweet. I'll go with you, Pete. Screw JD. Yeah. No, that's enough of you. That's enough out of Pete for that. Let's all grow as a group. Yeah. How about a game first? You know, like how about a game as a group for our beers. sports show, Pete? How about a bar? Hey, let's bro down. And no, you want to go to a Mariah Carey concert. All right. I do want to get to the A-list. But before I do that, mm -hmm. I have two things for you. One yeah. is... You're now the in-arena host of the Maple Leafs, which you didn't even tell me, by the way, ahead of time. I had to learn it secondhand knowledge from someone else. Thanks. That's cool. I thought we were friends. Nope. Not a, was not aware. Still have not been given even a... A morsel of clothing. Nope. Nothing. A sniff at a ticket. Not even a snicker. Get in line, uh, a buddy. Sticker. A sticker. Get in line. A snicker. Yeah. It is I would, candy I would rather... Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm going to... We'll have to do that one day. We'll Rankings go. of food at Halloween candies. Oh, listen, it's just... You can do that on the list. I can do it right now. It's Reese and it's Snickers and then everything else is just kind of like Candy whatever. crisp. I mean, coffee, coffee crisp. crisp. <laughs> Candy crisp. Coffee, coffee crisp is only a Canadian thing. It, well, maybe because I lived in the States for four years yeah. and I like craved it. Yeah. My parents would bring it down when they came to yeah, yeah, uh, home games. You built it up. Yeah. It's mid. It's pretty good. It's mid. It's a mid bar. Um, okay, so you're hosting these games. Mm -hmm. You didn't tell me about it. You haven't got me anything. But more importantly... Get in line. Well, actually, not really even more importantly because, yeah, that's pretty important. Especially considering, you know, you kind of owe me because you, you invited Blake before me to go hang out with Murray Philip. Oh, yeah, that's right. Ouch. <laughs> How, Still holding on to that one, eh? 
I'm going to hold on. I, do you know me? I hold on to grudges <laughs> till the day I die. People slight me and I go, it's okay, you're forgiven. And I, it's not. There's <laughs> the truth about that. It's not. Um, through, I can only really watch these games on TV. Mm-hmm. And I won't be able to get down until I take some nights off of doing Leafs talk. Right. Which you never told me about, so we're in the same boat. Actually, I did tell you about that. I don't remember. You d- yeah, exactly. So not only did I tell you, you All weren't right, even continue. Yep, okay, no, it's fine. I can't go to these games, mm-hmm. so I keep asking people about the atmosphere down at them, mm-hmm. and I keep kind of listening through the television and trying to kind of pick stuff up, but you never really know how something's mic'd and what you're actually getting. My interpretation of it is that it seems kind of like that... It's more on edge than it oh, has yeah. been in years past. There's some tension. Yeah, that it's, it's like it's kind of the the arena is tense, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing overall. But mm-hmm. like we've heard booing already a couple of times. Yeah, we have, and so yeah, I think I feel being like, all right, let's get back out there, Maple <laughs> Leafs Nation. It's the pizza pizza giveaway, and Yo. everyone's like, shut up. Yeah, see, this is this is what <laughs> it should be. It should be like Roman times. Mm-hmm. Oh. Where you just get to go with the mob, <laughs> you know, like whichever way the Rip mob off is going. My mic and I'm like, yeah, no, just if they're booing, you're like, you Boo get into louder. it even more. Who's you're like, the you just start your thumbs the down. Yeah, yeah. Reds, let's hear your, let's <laughs> yeah, hear let's you cheer. Hear you boo. <laughs> Who has the chirp? Free tickets. You should have songs ready that are just heckling the team. Oh, but yeah, no. what do you think about that? Like, yeah. because yeah, you know, you've gone to a lot of games mm-hmm. in the city. You've been in a lot of arenas, mm-hmm. and. I just, I am very curious about, yes, the vibes in the stadium. I think you're definitely onto it. If you can tell through the broadcast, then that's that's kind of how it feels as well. Um, I would say just because there's been slow starts and that's how you get momentum as a fan. Like if I'm thinking from sitting in the stands or being in the stands, like the puck drops and it takes some time to get mm-hmm. some momentum, takes some time for the fans to get into it. And then, you know, if the team isn't getting out there with their best foot, it starts to drag on and then there's that, nervous energy, that anxiety that isn't really positive at times. And then there's the weighted expectations of the season, which I think add to, we didn't win every game. Like you got to start on fire because last year you didn't. And then when there's goal scorers that aren't producing, like there's a lot of layers to it. Um, but I'll tell you the most electric it was, was when the rock came out. Oh my God. Oh yeah. That was amazing. And when Justin Hall scored that game winner, those were the peaks so far of the games that I've been at. Yes. And game-winning goal. Game-winning goal is always going to get the, the crowd right. popping, right? Well, actually, the Nick Robertson overtime yeah, was that incredible. Yeah, that that was great. so sick. But that's a, like, that's a walk-off moment, right? The between, game is done. You're celebrating. Exactly. That's quiet. what I mean is there's always going to be big celebrations. The crowd's not going to groan when the team no, ends up winning. Especially you got to remember that the complexion, a lot of the people listening to the show right now, mm-hmm. like a lot of you probably go to one or two games a year, max. Yeah. Maybe you don't even go, but yes, we all know the complexion of what who's at a Leafs game is a lot of people that are just there for like a business event yeah. or they're going sure. to their one game a year. They don't even really care about the Maple Leafs. So if somebody scores a goal, obviously the roof is going to blow off the joint. I think that the vibe you get in the arena is the people who are the, sick and, uh, the season ticket holders. Mm-hmm. Man, my brain is just melting down today. They're the season ticket holders. Mm-hmm. They're the diehard fans who make a big financial sacrifice. And that's a big part of this too. Mm-hmm. I really do believe it. That That's what sucks about being a Leaf fan. And I thought about that with that Arizona game. You went to go see the Arizona Coyotes. Every other market, that's a that's cheap game night. Yep. You know, even think about the Blue Jays. You go to a Blue Jays game and they've got the Texas Rangers in town who suck. Like and bucks. it's a Tuesday. Yep. You get into the building Unless for a Unless it's free. Looney Dogs Tuesday, J.D. Like, yeah, come yeah. on. The... No, but tickets still aren't expensive on still, Looney Dogs. It's, eh? it's just stakes. you that racks up a huge bill just <laughs> yeah, stuffing the... <laughs> 
just getting so don't, all the glitches. Don't go down with the stuff like, in the water. Yeah, I know, yeah. We don't like, need I, that on the I retracted it. Yeah, I, retra- yeah. I, I, I went backwards. Yeah. Um, those dirty, slimy dogs uh, <laughs> that everybody, for some reason, feels the need to eat. Um, you have the added pressure of the night, right? That's and it. I always think, too, you go with either a couple of buddies or, man, the people who have to bring their families. I don't even know how you bring a family to a Leaf game. Like four people. You, it's an they, investment. That's what I mean. You got to bring your two kids to a Leaf game. Mm-hmm. No, that's too much. And especially, could you imagine how choked you'd be? You bring your kid to a Leafs game and, and they're they trying to, no, not only they lose, they're just on their phone the whole time. They're like, I hate it here. I'm sleepy. You're like, you're going to watch it. <laughs> you're going like to like it. Like you're going to suffer through this TikToks, like your father yeah. or your mother. But yeah, I think that that adds to it. I think that you're yeah, sitting there certainly that and then they dog it. They give you a bad effort after this team has been mm-hmm. kind of doing that for the last couple of seasons. They have their up and down night yeah. and you show up on down night on a weekday where you paid 200 plus dollars. There's, there's, the, the frustration is warranted. A hundred percent. Yeah. I just, I can't really remember. You know what this actually makes me feel like? This makes me feel like the time where people were throwing waffles over the boards. Mm. And it was a it different kind for that time. Yeah, it was a different kind mm. of frustration. People were just like, I've had it with watching these terrible teams. Mm. And but there was almost a little bit of us versus the media, us versus the fan base thing. There's that already with us that. versus the media. At That's this what point. I mean. Well, they have to. They have to try to find someone else to blame for their yep. inadequacies. And now it's the media. Sheldon Keefe had two days of burying himself. He was the meme where it's the guy is laying in his own grave, you know, piling <laughs> yeah. dirt on his face, crying. And then he just went, oh, I was doing it because of the media. Yeah. yeah the so- thing you, none of you guys were talking about until I was talking about. It's your fault that we're doing this. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, I do wonder how that's going to play itself out throughout the course of the year. And more specifically, because everything's about the playoffs, I wonder how that impacts the guys mm-hmm. if they end up in playoff games at home of significance, how a crowd turning on you or a crowd having that energy can affect a team. That's my responsibility. Change that. Yeah. Oh, you're, oh, you're part of the team. Yeah, no, the uh, the vibes of the I fans. I know, that's, but that's what I'm saying. You literally became vibes coordinator. You I parlayed am the vibes, vibes coordinator of Switchmaker. Did you get that actually as a title? You should I should. It, like on my badge in arena host slash vibes coordinator. It should have just been vibes coordinator. Yeah. It should have been vibes coordinator. And do you feel like maybe... This what I'm saying because this whole segment is about mm-hmm. the vibes being kind of mm-hmm. off that you're doing a bad job. It could be it yeah. could be argued that I'm doing a poor job. <laughs> uh, let's go. Let's move off yeah, that topic. Let's move off of it. Okay, so I have a little piece of actually no. Let's just do the A list because this is too long. I was going to talk to you about uh, what I wrote down as Boudreaux, but it's actually Trotz. Oh, did you see that? Yeah, with he how he might be coming back. Well, Barry Trotz just no, yeah. Barry Trotz yeah, just yeah. talking a little bit about original six franchises. We talked to Jeff Merrick about that on our show, and it's, uh, he said he's he's ready to probably be, get his foot in the door again with coaching. Yeah, and no, he's out of all the teams, uh, original six teams. There's a hot seat, maybe. I know there's brewing. there's only one. I thought that was very calculated mm-hmm. timing by old Trotzy. Mm-hmm. We'll play that audio a little bit later, but for now, let's see what you've got for the reunion of the A list. Now it's time for hey, the A list. All right, I had to pick one, and I thought you guys could all be involved in it. Yeah, the I don't know. I make the rules, here. but no, they can't. They have mics in front of them. I already so. told them that they could, and okay. I was joking about Pete having to turn his mic off. He was fine to speak there. That it's was kind of like a little fun quiz. So the story this week mm-hmm. is Phil Kessel mm-hmm. making his history last night with his 400th goal, Ironman record being broken. It's very nice to reminisce about Phil Kessel. Mm-hmm. 
we looked down memory lane about the last time he missed the game, which was October 31st, 2009. I, I don't was know if you game. guys were born. Actually, am I now not the youngest in this room? Oh, no, you're ancient. All right, perfect. Great. You're a bag of me. bones. I'm going to leave. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, I thought that not only is that an outrageous amount of time, you know, John Tavares was in his rookie season. Yeah. That's crazy because he's was, like the old guy now. I you was, were at that game. Yeah, I was okay. at the last game Phil wasn't at. Mm-hmm. I went down to Montreal with a bunch of my yeah, friends. It actually shootout loss, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and then there were we got in a brawl outside of the Bell Center. Love that for you. Yeah, did I, you win? Uh, you see the other guy. Uh, actually, you should have seen the other guy. He literally was like a, one of the guys was like a six foot eight, just oh, no. freakazoid who had no life in his eyes and oh, just God. wanted nothing. No, no, no. We were just only a couple of Leaf fans, mm-hmm. and uh, my friend Mike started Hot it. Tension. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. He started it, and then let's just say it ended with uh, a few of us having to run for our lives, carrying oh our friend who was completely concussed with oh, less teeth. Okay, well, that's not that's not a great memory. <laughs> yeah. Let's make some new ones. No, it actually it is like a well, core you, memory. At least, actually. hey, you know the yeah. last time that Phil Castle was playing. Yeah, I but definitely do. Special. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, I'm going to Bruins game tomorrow night mm-hmm. in Boston. I know. I was, like, I was going to say, well, you can't really ever say, I'm going to the Leafs game tonight. No, it's no. like, no, you're working. So I'm going to the Bruins game tomorrow in Boston, and I'm like, uh-huh. my friends are like, we should wear Leafs stuff. I'm like, do you want me to survive the evening? No one's going to beat you up in Boston. I really. have been to a Boston Bruins game in Leafs gear and, like, feared for my life. Yeah, you're going to get harassed, but you're not going to get beat no, up. No, I'm not going to get beat up. Or like, do I want to have an enjoyable as, situation? The or only just way you get there? beat up at a game is if you if you talk back. Well, no one's going to beat me up either. Okay. Yo, oh, I like, you just, <laughs> bring you just popped. Bring hey, on. just popped the shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to beat me up either. Pops the shoulders. All right, keep going with the All Phil right. Kessel thing, okay, tough guy. Okay, okay, okay. So, Phil Kessel, um, 2009 was the last time that he was out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Let's see how well you remember 2009. You guys are going to be... Uh, in a tough spot here. Who won the Super Bowl in 2009? <sighs> I'm so bad with stuff like this, but hold on. Give me one second. And you guys, I'm watching your computers. Two, no, no, no. Yeah, just, they don't even have away. their computers. You could just take a guess here. No, no. I just, I, well, I was going to try to go backwards. Well, we don't have all day here, buddy. I know. You're right. Okay. Just top of my just mind. Just top guess. of mind. You just go for it. Okay. I mean, the proper guess is to be Great like radio. the Patriots, but it's not. Who, who is it? Steelers. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, I known let that. me let me just rifle through because the least. Pats didn't win after yeah, 2007. Yeah, there you go, smart like kid. After that Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah, keep him, give him his job. Still, okay. Uh, 09 NHL champions. 09 would have been go Jobo, Detroit or Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Pittsburgh. Wait, ding ding ding. Against Detroit. I can't believe I, I'll never and remember that, any that, of these that things. That was that was the year that it was Marion Hosa who. Went from one team to the other yeah. and lost to the other team. The kids the are next smarter year. than you. What's this JD Bunkus podcast? No, I know the, the things that happened when I know the events. All right. I just can't. I'm horrible at the dates. 09 NBA champions. Spurs. Eh. Who is No. It's the Lakers. Lakers. This yeah. guy's on fire. He's on fire. That was, Gee, it's that embarrassing was, for you. That, that was Kobe's first ring back. Uh, uh, World Series champs. 09. No clue. New York Yankees. Yep. Wow. Yeah, okay. see, that's good trivia. I was nine years that's old, by the way, guys. See, trivia. these things I just let go from my brain because this is just the information that to me is a Google. Or, like I said, I have to work my way backwards. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. But if I work my way backwards through championships, Folks, like you said, we're going to be here all day. This is what happens when you go to Carlton. Yeah, you learn to retain wow. important information, not just like facts you can Google in a second. All right. That, name- hey, Alexa, <laughs> that's what that's for. <laughs> name a celebrity couple that got married in 2009. A sports celebrity couple. Sports celebrity couple. Tom Brady? Yep. 
Yeah. What a world that we're in now with that whole situation. Oh, that's he got sad. married in 09 and Tom See, and I already Giselle. forget why we're doing 09. Because it's still the last time right. we played. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I was like, I'm out on this. Well, like, why are we doing that? Build the thrill, baby. Yeah. Um, all right. I thought this would be fun, though. There's, I think mm-hmm. 2009 was like maybe some of the best time for music. Mm-hmm. And you, you, I know you'll like this. Um, top song in the week that Phil Kessel started the streak. Down by Jay Sean featuring Lil Wayne. Wow. Followed yeah. by Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. Party in the USA still. Which is still like a bop. Like a uh, I was working summers in 2009 as a And mover. you remember this though, right? Shout out AMJ. Uh, still blue shirt for life. Okay. But uh, that song would come on. And you can't stop dancing. And even even the old lads in the truck would leave it, they, and they'd pretend they'd hack it. a dart and be like, "Yeah, whatever." Oh, I can't I can't figure and out how to change the like station. Bopping it, you know. That those songs remind me of like grade three. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Shut up, okay. Joe. <laughs> Honestly, I almost swore on radio. That was a real close swear because I I just boiled over there. Like I just want to snap on you for that. Anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, you know me. Miley's my girl. That's yeah, the yeah. top of the mountain. Like I see Miley Cyrus as the better version of what people think Taylor Swift is when it comes to being an artist. Um, okay, what you say, Jason Derulo? Yeah, no. I got a feeling Black Eyed Peas. This was Black Eyed Peas Central. Like, yeah. this was their hot time. Let's get it started. Uh, Lady Gaga paparazzi. Yeah. And uh, this is when Kings of Leon came out with You Somebody. Yeah, that was a tough so one for me. That was an but, emotional time. Oh, I got no. dumped. And uh, oh, the guy who... Oh, the, the, the girl who I got dumped by. Yeah, yeah. She went to Kings of Leon with a guy as their first date. And she, too bad there wasn't like Instagram And I was Instagram like poor stories. at university. You know, yeah, I was yeah. crushed. Oh, that's even worse because it's just your, all your imagination. I oh, picture them like, like front row, like, sex is on fire. No, they fire. got on stage. They're on stage. <laughs> like, you know? oh, you guys yeah. come up, you do a little Listen, intimate dance. It kind of sucks when the, the guy takes the girl you like to a show where the song is literally sex is on fire. It's like... That's a humping song. <laughs> like, that's a hump song. Like, that's a romantic fall in love hump song. That's deadly. Like, God. yeah. So anytime I hear that, I still, you know, it hurts. Anyways, what's next? Uh, one last one. Yeah. Uh, a song that you might forget and that it'll be stuck in your head. Fireflies, Owl City. Oh, yes. Yeah, awesome one, too. Oh, that's a banger. It's so good. No, you guys, shut up. No, 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 shut no, no, no. up, That's a good Joe. song. Shut that's up. a good song. Shut up. Uh, okay, fashion faux pas, because I think we've probably lived through some of these. Okay. Do you remember Thin Eyebrows? Yeah. This was the time for thin eyebrows. Well, and all the ladies listening, we just got to erase that from our memories. But thin brows? Yeah. You guys haven't seen this live through the thin brown phase. No. Again, shut up. Be careful <laughs> well, what you I say. I it was coming back. No. Yeah. But some of this is coming back. Like Crocs were huge yeah. in 2009. Crocs are back. I don't know if you, I'm looking at your feet, but uh, I can't. you can wear Crocs now, JD. I'll I know, but it. here's the thing. I, this is a tough one for me because I already feel like my whole life I've just dressed for comfort. Comfort and style, blend. Yep. You know, love hoodies. I've always loved jeans. But there's a limit for me where I just go, I can't. I cannot do it. <laughs> like, have you ever seen me wear sweats or track pants to work? Never. Not once ever. And it's like, even during peak COVID where people try to get away with that, Hey, we were on Zoom it. together. A couple times you had, like, cut-off sleeves, tarps off. Yeah, it's different Zoom. <laughs> I've definitely work. done tarpless Zooms with Ennis. <laughs> like many times. Yeah, yeah. There have been a lot of tarpless zooms. Summertime is different, you know? Like that one room doesn't have AC in my office. Oh. Just like it's got to be tarps off. No, but for the most part, I, Crocs, that's my limit with footwear. Like I feel mm-hmm. like a clown if I wear those. Like where are you supposed to wear those other than if you're in your backyard? And then if it's like if you're in a backyard or a mm-hmm. whatever, a situation like that, just wear crappy flip-flops that you get at GT. GT. GT, yeah. GT. Boutique. 
Um, all right. I don't know if I have time to do any more, but you do. Okay. Um, just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Adam Silver mm-hmm. saying that if NBA teams tank on purpose, they'll mm-hmm. relegate them. Yeah, it's bull. Yeah. It's, I, I, want, I knew you'd have some spicy thing about this. Well, How it would ever work or what you're supposed to do about teams being relegated listen, or tanking for, you know, it, Victor, it, it Wemby. Just, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work in North American sports. And, okay, so people think that the Phoenix Suns, who are up for sale now, mm-hmm. are going to go for over $4 billion. Yeah. $4 billion. That's a lot of money. Billions. There's nobody that's buying a $4 billion team. Look at what's going to happen with expansion, how you have to pay these expansion fees now. No mm-hmm. one's buying into that. And, like, so what? You're going to get relegated to the G League? <laughs> Can like, you you're imagine? Gonna get, you're gonna get the rele- Lakers got relegated to the G League. Yeah, by and themselves. They had to play. LeBron, GM LeBron. LeBron, was he put them in the G League uh, by accident. He was like, oh, whoops, <laughs> we're in the G League. Uh, at least he's going to get the scoring record, though, now, yeah. because he's only around G League guys, so he doesn't have to pass. Um, yeah, I just don't see how it works. I think that... That actually is more, the, the real story with that is it's an indicator of just how the NBA and other leagues just, they have no idea how to curve this. They just don't know how to stop well, what it. what would you do? To me, the answer is that everybody has flat lottery odds. Okay. But that sucks too, because here's the other thing that the NBA and other leagues don't want to admit. Tanking is kind of good for you. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm a Seahawks fan. Mm-hmm. And how about Geno Smith? Eh? Well, yeah, but here's the thing. I haven't even really been excited about the Seahawks until this past week. Mm-hmm. They thumped Los Angeles and I went, okay, it's over. Stop bitching about no tank and stop bitching about wins. But I've been rooting against them other than mm-hmm. the Russell Wilson game. Obviously, I wanted them to win that game. But why? Because the Seahawks own Denver's pick. So I looked at it as a lateral move anyway. So you want to have that one. If they had not had it, I would have gone, eh, well, whatever, you know, pick. You watch it. I'm not ashamed to say this. Like, and I, Raptors fans, you want the truth serum? Tell the truth. Tell <laughs> the truth. When they tanked that season and we'll everyone was looking at that lottery and saying, oh, they could get into the top three and no one even knew Scotty Barnes would be in the top three mm-hmm. at the time and it was all about the other three guys, everyone was excited. Think about the Austin Matthews year. I was at that final game of the year. You want to talk about vibes being bad? <laughs> they weren't. They weren't bad. You know why? The Leafs lost their final yep. home game of the year. And everyone was stoked because why Austin Matthews was in the lottery and fans eat it up and it's hope. That's what sports is hope. Not very many teams are contenders and most fans would rather be at the bottom than in the middle. And so for the NBA and for all these other leagues that talk about like, Oh, no relegation, no relegation. I think all they're really trying to do is to make the teams fake it better. They want the teams To not just be blatantly throwing it away. Yeah, you don't want to have it stripped down. And then you know what the other thing is? Is that it's okay for a season. I've said this before. It's okay if you do it for a year. It's okay if you do it for Mm -hmm. two. It's when you start to get into year three, four. Like, look what the Oklahoma City Thunder are doing. That's going to be tough for the fans, too. Like, you're just losing validity and respect. But look at what the Oklahoma City Thunder are doing yet again. Like, how many years of this? And and people go, Presti is a genius. He's a (laughs) genius. He's got all these picks. He's such a great GM. I'm like, why? Because he's completely burning Shea Gilgis Alexander's youth. Lou Dort's youth. Mm-hmm. He hasn't taken a positive step for his franchise. And people go, oh, Chet got hurt. It's bad luck. Okay. So you're just never going to try to win until you hit at the very top of the lottery. And maybe they do. And maybe the ultimate reward for them is they do get Wembenyama. Mm-hmm. And then everyone goes and says, this is why you it do it. And it's it. validation yeah. to just let you roll year over year of year of tanking. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like, I think you should basically try to find a way where you can only tank for a certain amount of years 
And then if your win-loss record is below a certain thing after a couple of seasons, you start getting punished, punished financially, like financially or yeah. with draft picks. The draft where picks they go, thing is the can't. one that I think that will matter the most. Like, they have so much money. Who cares? But okay, Yeah, exactly. You know what I think that they do? I, and this is me kind of off the top of my head, but it's related to something I've thought about before. Mm-hmm. Remember how, like, Cleveland was winning all the first overall picks? Yep. And, and it was just like, Cleveland wins Rigged. again. And you went, are you kidding? <laughs> no. Yep. But I do think that they should have a rule, essentially, that's like, if you win the first overall pick, you can't win it. Like, you can only draft, like, fourth the following year. Hmm. Like, it does give other teams incentive. They don't put your incentive. ball in the little lottery machine Yeah, it gives other teams done. incentive sometimes to drop down and reset, which some of them should. But those other teams that drop to the very bottom, they can't just keep doing it. Per- exactly. Yeah. you got to make strides forward because it doesn't mean anything to you to be able to do that. So anyway, I think it's something like that. Mm-hmm. I think they have to put a cap on where you can pick in drafts well, because this, otherwise this teams do it forever. This going to be, like, the most evident of these teams. Like, this guy is a incredible talent. But so far, it's hilarious. Like, I have three parlays that <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. busted. I love an NBA favorites parlay, yeah. and I can't do it this year. I'll actually, actually need, like, a break. Because even last night, I bet yeah. against the Pelicans, and they were down, like, Zion and Ingram, and they, they literally had no players, and they won. And I went, I'm retired. But I have faded <laughs> yeah. the Utah Jazz three straight games, and Lori Markkinen has decided to turn into Dirk yeah. and has cost me a lot of money. You can't predict it. The Jazz. It's the beauty of betting. Yeah, the Jazz. No, but the, you're supposed to be able to predict it. That's why they have betting lines. Anyways, Utah Jazz, I hate your guts. Uh, all right. Before I got to go, too. Mm-hmm. Um, two people just texted in. I'm always on the text line here. Mm-hmm. That these shows were used on yesterday's afternoon show. Um, my A-list. I brought the A-list first two days ago. So y'all are recycling my A-list throughout the show. What? Like the A-list of the uh, 2009 trip down memory lane. Apparently someone else did that on the station, so... I got a bone to pick with them. Who did that? I don't know. Two people said we already used. We already heard this yesterday afternoon. So, yesterday you kidding afternoon. me? That's right. Who's the A list is always for a six a.m. What Kipper and Bourne were doing two thousand nine hits? I doubt I it. Know. You asked me to bring my good stuff. I doubt it. No, I did. You did bring your good stuff. <laughs> the fans. The fans. Also, hear what it. kind of lunatic is like? Oh, <laughs> uh, yesterday afternoon. <laughs> I, I we heard cherish that. you, listen, listener who listens the entire day. Good These two them. guys that are literally like wake up, flick it on, go to sleep with it on. Big Shout fans. out to you. They got to listen to the A-list more, though. Mm-hmm. You have anything else or you just got to go? I got to go. Oh. I got to go to my apartment and make Say sure it's still it. there. Actually, yesterday when I got home, because mm-hmm. I saw you and I was like rushing home, there was a bomb threat outside my apartment and it was yeah, locked. spooky season haunted. It was locked down for 30 minutes. I had to stand on the corner and I saw the bomb unit, like the Toronto police bomb diffusers, about 100 yards from me and I couldn't go to my building, didn't know what to do. So I walked around the block, went to Indigo, bought a book that I'll never read. Anyway, everything was good. <laughs> got to get out of this yeah. place, okay? So yeah. keep the updates going on the house, but yeah. I got you, you 15 know what, though? showings today. This this kind of makes me feel like, no offense, but that you, like, sell the place, and this is one of the these haunted movies because this happens, too. Uh-oh. You sell the place, and you get out, and you survive, and you're driving away, right? And you're like, ah, and you grab, you know... Your husband's hand in the car. And in the back seat. And in the back seat, the, the ghost, the specter the is ghoul. still, the ghoul is, is still with you. You're still haunted by the ghoul. You know, you look, you look in the, the rear ghoul. view mirror and there yeah. it is, like yeah. a little. Yeah, <laughs> it's just there. It wasn't the house. It was you guys. Ooh. And the ghoul was with the, you, you know? Uh-huh. That's tough. Were you wearing a costume on Monday when I see you? No. Great. Well, no fun. Yeah, it's Monday. It's, uh, it's Halloween. We're going to let the listeners pick our outfits. So if you have any ideas. 
I, guess what? Don't do that. I'm going to let them do it. <laughs> like, We're loyal yeah. to the listeners, yeah, to the simps. Right. Yeah, yeah, the simps, yeah. Respectful costumes. they pick Cuthbert's, I'll be, I'll be writing in. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna pick, they're going to let them pick both of our Halloween costumes. Yeah, I can't, I can't do it. I, I already had my peak. I went as Ennis when he broke his ankle oh, playing great. frisbee golf. Recycle covered it. in dirt and in a, <laughs> and in hey, a walking boot. Hey, you guys boot. here, you got to help JD get a costume, okay? It's Monday, You know what? No, here's the thing. The only time you get a costume if you're a guy is if... Actually, that's not true because my friend James, he is like... He goes into Halloween co- uh, competitions. Like, he makes himself into, like, Lego Man. He's crazy with it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's it's it's crazy. But he's an engineer. It's a different thing, you know? Like, their brains work a different way where it's designed. Okay. Jobo actually probably has a yeah. little bit of this. Um, Get a little costume going Monday. No, but, Come on. But no guy is ever doing anything with a costume unless they their girlfriend is making them do a costume thing. And so, if that's not you, then you're costumeless. Like, who's thinking about that? Women have costume trunks. Like, you know most women <laughs> out here? Trunks. I'm serious. They have just departments in their own yeah, places. Sure. Full of things that are ready for... You never know when for... you might need one. That's what I'm saying. It's... Night, 80s night? Yes, I'm ready. I got a trunk of 80s stuff. That's what I mean. If I'm not you, kidding If around. you are a dude and you go and you're desperate for a Halloween costume... Ask just about any one of your female friends. Do you out. have like a tickle trunk, essentially? Like, uh, yeah, it's a tickle trunk. That's what it's called. Yeah. Okay. A tickle trunk? Yeah, you guys are young. You guys I are young. It's, it's tickle trunk. All right. I've never heard of that. Okay, like fine. A trunk no, full no, of costumes. No costume Monday, no problem. But if you have any suggestions, let me know. Well, what are they suggesting so far? Well, I don't want to ruin it yet. I'll send you a couple good ones. Okay. It's going to be a surprise. Okay. It was a pleasure to be yeah, back here. Guys. All right. Go to your haunted house. Best of luck with JD. You know, <laughs> you if you ever need anything, send me a message. Oh, yeah. So sorry for giving you guys a, a platform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, quick break. Then we'll come back and uh, make our picks for Thursday night. Sportsnet 590. The fan. It's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus. Ontario only. You gotta play responsibly. Say this every time, but you do. Just be responsible, okay? Uh, The Thursday nighter. Let's just start with this, fellas. Is Is it a sexy game? No. Pete? I think any game with Lamar Jackson is a sexy game. Yeah, I forgot. Pete likes everything. Buffo? <laughs> it's definitely sexy, especially in comparison to some other Thursday night games this year. Mm-hmm. I think it's sexy, too. I think it's sexy, too. This, these are, this is the sexy list for me. Number one is this is sort of like you just scored three points, Buccaneers. Like, you scored three points. And the Ravens generate interior pass rush which is what the Bucks have struggled against. And this kind of just, it's a, like, it's a national spotlight. Everyone's been like, no, who's watching Patriots or Patriots, Buccaneers, Panthers and Buccaneers, Steelers, other than direct fans of those teams, right? Like those were all sort of games you were flipping to and you're going, really, this is happening, huh? Now we all get to see, we all get to watch. And that Ravens defense has been, Good again in the interior pass rush, but they've blown a bunch of games. Lamar is turning the rock over. I think this is a big narrative swing game. This is either a big, if Lamar loses to Tom Brady and the Bucks get right against Lamar, people are going to start to wonder what the hell is going on with the Ravens. And maybe that starts spinning off into, hey, everyone remember that he doesn't have a contract and they'll probably get that done. But what exactly is the future of the Ravens? What exactly is going wrong here? Why aren't they making better on potential when a lot of preseason prognosticators thought 
that this was going to be one of the better teams in the NFL this year. And for Tom Brady, if they get smoked again, then no, for real. Like the talk that I was joking about and that I've kind of been alluding to, half joking, (laughs) just kidding, has been that he retires in season or that he gets released Maybe the, you know, Niners go get him. And by the way, the, the Solak conversation that I'm going to have, I got Ben Solak of the Ringer coming up on 10. Um, there's something pretty interesting there too about, you know, pocket passers. Let's just preview that in terms of their effectiveness and that maybe even the greatest like Tom Brady, it's just the NFL is just not built for some of these guys anymore. But either way, I think it, I think it's a sexy game. But I also think that it's a game that we can build up a lot of narratives into. But then when we actually watch the the, the product, it might suck. That's why I said it wasn't sexy. Yeah. But that's my initial thought was no, because... You're a purist, eh? You're just like, I don't believe in the narrative. I think the Ravens are going to smoke them. Mm. And I'm also, be, like, being a supporter of another team in that division. Sorry, Tampa Bay. But I'm, I, I think the Ravens are going to smoke them. I don't think Tampa Bay has much of a chance, to be honest. After watching the last two weeks... Because I do watch other teams in that division, mm-hmm. maybe a little more than some other people do, just because I'm kind of interested to see. Like, they're bad. They scored 21 points mm-hmm. against, in total, in two games, against Carolina and Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Carolina, oh, you just say they scored three points last week. I, I, I could say that against Carolina. Yeah. They just fired yeah. their coach, yeah. traded away their best player, uh, traded away a receiver, and their starting quarterback played in the XFL two years ago. Bafo, you bet against the uh, Bucks, la- or sorry, against the Ravens last weekend. How you doing it again? I'm going. I'm going back to the well, baby, against the Ravens. I uh, box at home. But you know, like honestly, I'm just not trying to overthink it. It's a motivated Tom Brady. People saying he's done. That Father Time is finally opening up the door. But he's for been him. motivated every week. Was that? Was was the motivation last week? They got smoked by the Steelers. Then they put up three points. I don't disagree, but man, like it really just comes back to what I said last week ahead of the Browns Ravens mm. game. I just don't really trust the Ravens. I feel like they're I don't trust either of these teams. Uh, yeah, like like you said, it's an intriguing game just because there's some warts with both these teams. But for me. I'm leaning towards uh, Bucks plus one and a half, possibly even Bucks money line. Home dog. To, uh, no, you got to play the money line if you're playing the Bucks. Uh, yeah, definitely. Plus one ten. Just take the win. The one and a half points. Screw it. Just the, the Bucks gonna win or the Bucks gonna lose. This is a pick 'em. Yeah. Like, dude. Honestly, I'm not playing the spread on either of these things. You're either taking the Ravens minus one thirty money line or the Bucks plus one ten. That's fair. This for is sure. what it is. This is a coin toss game. I, obviously there's always a little bit of value on the home team, but again, like Jobo said, it's kind of hard to back. At least the Ravens won last week. Like at least they pulled it out. Although people are showing the highlight of the Browns not moving on the offensive line and how that killed them in the game. First of all, Browns fans, you cry babies who you guys are wrong about everything. Like you've never been right by the, have I ever been wrong on a quarterback, by the way, just, I gotta say like, just a quick shout out to me. Um, toast to me. Um, wasn't wrong about Baker was bang on had all the Browns crybaby fans in my mentions last year when I said that he sucked and that you were going nowhere with him go <sighs> he's good and then like receivers revolting against him been right about every single quarterback every single one I've never been wrong about a quarterback the only guy that has the chance to prove me wrong is Dak Prescott that's what I'm saying I don't believe in Dak I think he's I think Dak is a tier above mediocre i think he is in the firmly implanted in the kirk cousins tier of can have a pretty good game but you cannot win with them because they are just not good enough to make plays and dak every once in a while has kind of had these moments where i go hmm but not usually either way um 
they moved the ball, the Browns. They, the, it wasn't about a false start where they moved on the line. They moved the football before the snap. That's why you can't see it in the broadcast. But again, Browns fans are pretty thick. And so it's hard for them to kind of understand sometimes. They're just so, you know, it's just the, the factory of sadness has taken its toll on you where you just don't even know what you're watching anymore. You got that hope. You got way too high on your horses. You thought that like something was happening for you. You thought something special was going down. Old JD came in to tell you that nothing was going to happen with Baker. You refused, blah, blah, blah. And now you're the team everybody hates. Congrats. You got the biggest loser fans and nobody likes you because you got the predator QB. Way to go. (laughs) Anyways, Pete, where are you on the line? I like the Ravens this week. Yeah, me too. Um, I like the way that us against Buffalo, the guys uh, inside against the guy behind the glass. You know what though? This is this is where you want to be if you're Mark Buffo. This is the, he's in the nobody believes in us. You know he's just he's back there. He is Tom Brady. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> believes in us. He's ready for this. I love it, Buff. It, it's gonna uh, honestly, guys. It, look, everything you're saying is well documented. That's why we're gonna lose the Panthers. <laughs> the they were embarrassed by the Panthers, but I see that more as the Bucks just playing down to their opponent. I mean, it was an embarrassing loss, but yeah, I don't know. I just feel like. I feel like this is the move. Don't overthink the goat at home. Oh, I hate that Bafo's alone. I needed this to be 2-2 because now I'm just like, I'm going with Bafo just to screw him <laughs> over, but he doesn't want me on his side, I, and I'm not coming over there. I've been a Ravens backer. I have a, a Ravens Super Bowl bet. I, I believe in Lamar. I just I believe in Mark Andrews. They just have things. They got Gus Bus back last week. That's huge. That's yeah, true. Gus, and and their rushing attack, like J.K. actually, like Dobbins, looked pretty good for them because he's got those like sweet jump cuts that he can do. It's a different style of back than they've had, and they they need to have a multitude of running backs in that Ravens offense so that it's different looks. They ran a jet sweep with Lamar as the RB last week. Like they they're down bad when it comes to what they have in the backfield. Getting Gus Edwards, who's like a downhill runner, someone that you're afraid of in between the tackles, opens things up for Lamar outside. I'm 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 riding the Ravens this week. Come let's do it i i believe i think that they're i think that they're the better team the one thing that does give me some pause mm-hmm. about the bucks but it won't be enough for me to change my pick is i want to see what the status is of some of their uh, players in the secondary i think antoine winfield didn't practice with a concussion and we all know the nfl is very mm-hmm. very concerned mm-hmm. with concussions now post uh, the tua incident so i think he might be held out uh, on a short week and we'll see we'll see if how healthy they are back there but I, yeah, guys, I don't know. It just seems like a fishy line to me with, uh, it is, I don't know. It's a fishy line. It's a, Hey, Bavo, that's correct. It's a fishy line. And what did I say too about Patriots and bears that it was a fishy line and that it looked like it should be bigger and that everyone being on one side of it is terrifying. I just haven't gotten the same sense that everybody's on the same side of the line with the Ravens. And now that Bavo is like, at least he's there with the Buccaneers. I'm going, okay. Like, Gives me some souls. If it would have been all four of us, I would have switched. What's, what's your stat? So Buffalo mentioned Antoine Winfield. Sean Murphy Bunting and Carlton Davis are also both banged up, and that's yeah. their two cornerbacks. There you go. So that's their entire secondary. Yeah. That's either banged up in some regard or potentially out, like, obviously, Winfield. At the yeah, concussion. but it, it, if you're going to be banged up against an offense in your secondary, it's the Ravens. Like, Lamar had one of his worst games of his career, the other like, two weeks ago where he just couldn't hit anybody downfield. And yeah, I like DuVernay. I think that he's kind of under... It's weird with Ravens guys because you never know how really good they are because they they throw big plays. They have explosive plays. And so the guys that get them, you go, oh, is this guy really good? But then they can have games where they just do nothing and you go, but is that on Lamar? Like, w- which is it? 
Like it's it's kind of hard to get a read on how good some of their pass catchers are outside of Mark Andrews, even Bateman. Like I feel like we've sort of gone like, oh, is he really good? Is he really bad? And he gets hurt a lot. That's for sure. That's not very good in a league where you don't want to have the guys who get hurt a lot. But either way, I just yeah, I just think that there's more to the Ravens that I like. Buffalo, you said trust, right? And this is always my thing with sports betting. It's like, what do I trust? What, what do I trust? And right now, I don't trust that the Buccaneers are a competent football team. I don't trust what's going on behind the scenes with that team. I don't understand why they've fallen apart so precipitously from a team that was at least competent a year ago. Like I said, I didn't think that they were contenders. That's why I thought Tom Brady retired. I think he knew that they couldn't win, and so he wasn't going to be around the team. Those were last year's shows by me. I didn't see this, though. Nobody saw this, right? So I just, I trust... If we're using the trust word, we're talking about the trust tree. I trust that the Ravens can run the rock. Lamar Jackson has more rushing yards than all of the Bucs team. They're fifth in the league in rushing yards, the Ravens. Yeah, but Lamar himself, mm-hmm. not the Ravens, Lamar, yeah. on his own, has more rushing yards than the Bucs. On pace for another 1,000-yard rushing season, yeah. Yeah. And his slogan is, big trust. Yeah. Oof. Ooh. Am I, am I going You're Ravens dead, now? Buffalo. Am I going You're Ravens dead, now? Man. RIP, it's over for you. That's Pete just literally came from the top rope. That was that was WWE. That was like Boffo had us pinned in here, and it was like one, two, and then Pete pulled like a sting where he just came out of the ceiling with a baseball bat and just took it right to Boffo. Ouch. Anyways, uh, love it, love it, love it. Okay, so yeah, that's three sides to the Ravens on Thursday night, uh, and that was time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus, Ontario only. Please play responsibly. We'll see then tomorrow. And we'll take a very, very quick break. And then we'll come back. Our pocket QBs as dead as Boffo's bet. That's next. Read our next guest's work. I'm not trying to gas him up too hard before he comes on, but like some people saw the Russell Wilson thing coming and some of those people might be our next guest. But this is what I learned in his latest article because I I wanted to chat with him specifically about um, analytics and football and just kind of where we're at Uh, because it, it does feel to me recently that the Chargers especially have become kind of this um, this battleground for what is right and what is wrong when it comes to situational football. And then on the other side of it, it kind of feels like the game is starting to develop in a way that is going directly to the numbers. Like EPA is all of a sudden something that like we all know as football fans. Um, ben Solak. Uh, the Ringer NFL, who you can read, who you can listen to. Uh, it's excellent. What's up, buddy? How are we doing? Um, well, I appreciate the, uh, the intro. I will say, uh, Tampa Bay offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich got asked a question about EPA the other day, and he definitely does not know what EPA is, so we're still working on that. Uh, yeah, here's the thing. Um, we might have gotten a little too excited about how good Byron Leftwich is. Yeah, I think Byron uh, designed a good game, yeah. but I think that Bruce had a lot of influence over how they ran their offense in terms of philosophy that I think is missing right now. Byron really likes to run the ball. Uh, and that's just when you have Tom Brady and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, it's, sometimes it's nice to throw the ball a little bit. So um, 
I, I do want to come back to the Bucks because I actually like I'm I'm really curious about what is going on there specifically, and I, I do want to hear your perspective on them. But I, I do want to start with this stuff because okay, I, I originally wanted to bring you on to talk about like the Chargers and Staley and situational football, and then you know I read your latest article about Matt Ryan's benching, right? And I and I take this in, and I'm starting to think like, all right, is this going to be a profile on Ellinger? And no, it's a it's a profile on where quarterback play is going. And so I want to read one little excerpt for the audience. Um, so expected points added per play, which is EPA, of a QB run is now higher than a QB pass. And this is, again, from your piece. Put another way, Patrick Mahomes leads the league in EPA pass per attempt at 532. The average quarterback scramble this season is more valuable than any quarterback's pass attempt save for Mahomes. And even that, Mahomes' EPA Pass per attempt is 532, and his EPA per scramble is 603. Mahomes is more valuable scrambler than a thrower, and he's the best throw in the league. That hit me like a sack of bricks. Now, there is some layers to this that I do want to get into with you, but, yeah, it, the, the number one thing that I could help but think about is just, are, are, like, how is this going to affect drafts? How is this going to affect teams moving forward? Like, it just kind of does feel like the veteran quarterback, like yeah. a Matt Ryan, like, we're not doing that anymore unless it literally is Tom Brady. That when we go to the draft, if you're a pocket passer, how are you going to be in the first round? This kind of feels like when we realize like you shouldn't take running backs in the first round until they're unless they're extremely special. Yeah, so there's a like you said, there's a lot of layers to this, right? Like EPA tells us it paints a good picture, doesn't paint an exact picture. So often we see scrambles come on third downs because quarterbacks are saying, "All right, it's third and five. I'm realizing right now I could go run for exactly six yards. So if I just go do that, I pick up a first down and get a new set of downs." And that's going to jack up EPA like crazy because it's going to be generating a new first down. That's a very high EPA play, higher than like an average six-yard gain in another context. So there's like mitigating factors that kind of, you know, make EPA jack up scrambles a little bit. But what we're really seeing is a clear emphasis on the fact that scrambling allows us to escape bad plays, right? And think about it this way. If you have two quarterbacks, and one quarterback is just like the extremely accurate then he's going to be turning an incomplete pass to a complete pass. That's what his, his skill is going to bring you. He's so accurate that a pass that otherwise would be incomplete is going to be complete. That's valuable. But if you have a quarterback who can scramble, who can break a tackle, who can escape first contact, he's going to be turning a sack, a negative play, into a scramble, which is a positive play. So that accurate quarterback, that incomplete pass would have made it second and ten, that complete pass, makes it second and three. But the scrambling quarterback takes a play that would have ended with second and 17, takes a play that would have ended with a sack, a negative, a loss. You're behind the sticks and turns it into a positive play. That difference is so, 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 so important. It's how quarterbacks like Justin Fields, Marcus Mariota, and Daniel Jones, none of whom, you know, you and I would sit down and be like, yeah, these are the top guys. These are the best quarterbacks in the league. It's how they're keeping functional offenses afloat, even as they themselves take a lot of sacks. They hold on to the ball for a long time and they run around because he has the ability to take, like we saw Justin Fields on Monday night, a third and 14 when he's under pressure, get out of the pocket and go get a first down. That ability, adding that dimension of, of, of a quarterback running to the passing game, we've just seen now matter so, so, so very much to the point where you're correct. If I'm sitting down with the first round pick and I'm looking at quarterbacks to draft, I better see a guy's ability to avoid a sack. I need to see a guy in the pocket get a, a rusher coming straight to him, make that guy miss, get outside of the pocket and get upfield. If he doesn't have that trait, he has to be so good everywhere else to even catch up to the guys who are able to break those sacks that I'm not sure I'm interested in him. So it's going to change the way we think about quarterbacking, and it has over the last five years. It's a gradual process. Yeah, it has been. And 
we've seen more dynamic athletic quarterbacks over the last couple of years, but I think that the thinking behind, at least for most fans, has always been, well, it just opens up different things in your playbook, right? Rather than really looking at it through that lens of, hey, getting rid of the negative play. And reading this, it, it just like, it all seems so obvious, but things that you don't really hear talked about, maybe maybe you do in, again, the circles that, you know, you run in and, and with more advanced NFL talk. But I think that for, yeah, a casual fan, everybody knows like a sack is bad, but I don't think that we really looked at it through this lens. And now, like... I even think about this Eagles team, right? Where a year ago we were going, okay, like what is Jalen Hurts and how good can this team be? And what is the ceiling and what is the patience level in terms of keeping a guy like this to them being put up into like Super Bowl contender status versus a team like the Buccaneers where you're just seeing it completely fall apart. Or even just like I can use a guy who used to scramble or used to be able to use his legs in Russell Wilson where it's not as dynamic. And now a guy who holds on to the football so long is taking those sacks And you're just seeing it in terms of like how much their offenses are getting punished. And so, yeah, when we're talking about like the draft stuff, I think that this is also just going to be, yeah, probably the way that uh, when we're talking about like sports betting or trying to analyze a bunch of this stuff, like it's going to be a huge factor in all of this. And so I guess where I want to go with like the, the analytics side of it is how much of this do you think is actually being driven by more data? that is giving us this kind of stuff versus what I was saying before, which is that it's mostly just coaches looking at it and going, well, this is opens up other plays for our offense. Six of one, half dozen of the other. You're not going to get uh, – there. no, no uh, analytics staffer in the league can bring you know, kind of a model in front of their coach and say, hey, scrambling is a really high EPA per play uh, mm-hmm. event. We should scramble more. No, no analytic guy can bring that to his coach. And if the coach doesn't already kind of have an intuition of like, you know what, yeah, like our, our, our scrambles are pretty good and we like when our quarterback moves, that's not going to move him off, off his spot, right? You're gonna, you kind of need both uh, parties to just feel like that's going to make sense and certainly the coach party who's going to actually make the decision to, to be comfortable with that idea. But what you, I think, are seeing, like the Giants are the perfect example. Daniel Jones didn't scramble nearly as much as he is this season in any other season he played, right? He's almost twice as high of a scramble rate as he had in any individual season in the course of his career. What changed? Did he get faster? No. Is he, like, better runner? No. It's not that. The coaching staff there, Brian Dable, the head coach, Mike Kafka from Kansas City, spent time with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, two of the best scramblers in the league by EPA per play game, right? These are smart scramblers know how to get first downs, get touchdowns. They are going to coach Jones differently than guys like Pat Shermer has, Jason Garrett had, previous offensive coordinators and coaches he played with. Shermer and Garrett are traditional West Coast coaches. So if read one is covered, get to read two. If read two is covered, get to read three. If read three is covered, get to the backside. Backside is covered, get to the check down, right? Like this is how you go through your progressions as a pocket passer. Not really in that discourse that he would get from a guy like Garrett or a guy from Shermer. Never would he hear uh, – you know, if you feel space, just go. If you feel space, you just take it. Like, if, they, if, they, if, if the pocket opens up for you, if you see a line, uh, lane up the middle, just, just run. But from guys like Gable and Kafka, he will hear that. Number one, because they know Jones isn't that great of a passer, right? We've kind of seen that over the course of his career. But number two, they've been around quarterbacks from whom they've experienced the value of the scramble. So what changed for Jones? The coaching changed for Jones. The philosophy changed for Jones. That comes from playing good coaching, kind of understanding what your guy can and can't do. But it also comes from Kafka and, and Dable being very accepting of analytics, right? And they have, a, they have a much more robust analytics department in New York than they did previously, and they use outside hires and whatever. 
to, to look at their offense and say what's working and what isn't. And over the course, early parts of the season, it was very clear that Daniel Jones' scrambles were working. So now he scrambles more and more and more every single week. And now we have 100 rushing yards against the Jaguars, what he did last week. Because he's given the green light in a way that his previous coaching staff didn't do for him. Yeah, it's funny because it was just, you know, a few years ago. Even I still have these tendencies where I see a quarterback tuck the ball and run too soon, and you go, like, your, your inclination as an observer at times is, why is he tuck? He tucks the ball too fast, you know? He's taking it down, he's rushing too quickly, he's not looking downfield, and now it feels like maybe it's the other way around. Like, you're holding onto the ball too long, you're looking down the field too long, when really you should be just be trying to escape with your legs, or you should be taking the field that is in front of you. And, and this is what... I think is great um, about, well, like the article is really informative. And again, I, I suggest people go read it at the, at the ringer because there's just like a ton of really good stuff in there. But right now I've been feeling this like, Hey, what's going on? Like I mentioned with the, the chargers, how everyone is having these debates about situational football and analytics when it comes to situational football and that their failures or their struggles in those situations or whenever it happens around the league right now, it gets amplified as like a, see, this is why you can't use analytics in football for these situations. And meanwhile, you know, you're writing articles about the way that the game is changing because of the numbers. Do you, do you feel like these two things are at odds? Like, do you feel as though one thing can be happening, which is that the stuff we're talking about right now, where a coaching staff is using more numbers to try to come up with a game plan, but that we might actually be going in the reverse direction when it comes to calls on fourth down or situational play calling based on what the numbers are telling you versus a coach's gut. Cause I, I kind of do feel as though that is happening. So I think there's a very, there's, there's one sensation that's very clear, which is that more coaches are more willing to go for it on fourth down. When we investigate why I think, uh, we on the outside are a lot more inclined to uh, attribute it to analytics. We on the outside are more inclined to say, all right, they got to the fourth and one, somebody in their headset told them, hey, this is a go situation by the model, and the coach said, all right, we're going to go for it. That happens in some instances. Uh, it certainly happens, you know, when we get, like, some surprising two-point conversion attempts, you know, when we get, like, a fourth and three from the 50 that they go for, like, a lot of those are analytics, like, they were told in the headset during the series, hey, if we get, like, fourth and three or less, we're going to go for it. Like, the model says go for it, and the coach said, okay, we're going to do that. Guys like Doug Peterson do that. Brandon Staley does that. John Harbaugh does that. There are other guys who go for it on fourth down. Uh, Dan Campbell. We saw Josh McDaniels go for a two-point conversion against the Chiefs. You know, pick a coach. You've seen a lot of two-point conversion attempts. A lot of times, those attempts are possibly analytic, uh, like, they're supported by the analytics. Some of them are like 50-50 shots. The like analytics says, hey, you're about as likely to win as, uh, if you punt as you are if you go for this. So it's kind of 50 50 with the coach. And the coach decides that the coach wants to be aggressive. He wants his team to, to be on offense, be on the offensive. We're going to go for it. We're going to dictate the, the win. We're going we're gonna to do this. By the same token, you've seen teams like the Chargers, who are, have a big analytics department. You see teams like the Ravens, big analytics department, make anti-analytics decisions, right? The, the Chargers will – punt on a fourth and one that they're supposed to go for. The Ravens went for a field goal on a fourth and one that they were supposed to go for, yada, yada, whatever. In that instance, those coaches are electing to be conservative. They're choosing to play a certain way relative to their rosters and their talent. The Chargers think they have a really good defense, so they feel comfortable punting the ball away. The Ravens feel like they have a really good kicking game, Justin Tucker, so they feel comfortable uh, making a kick and keeping it a three-point game. In these instances, this boogeyman of analytics, provide cover for the coaches, right? Mm. It's like, oh, like, you know, you listen to like Josh McDaniels explain his two-point conversion against the Chiefs a couple weeks ago. He never says analytics once. He's, oh, like, you know, we wanted to be aggressive. We wanted to 
put some pressure on the Chiefs, wanted to take the lead, you know, really, really, like, you know, we trust our offense, we established ourselves. And then everybody who's commenting on this decision, which didn't go well for them, is like, wow, the analytics is ruining football. It wasn't an analytics-supported decision, and he never even said it was analytics. He said he wanted to do it because he thought it was cool. Hmm. So you have this sensation of, of, of we know that typically models suggest going for it on fourth down more than we're used to seeing. And accordingly, every time we see a team go for it on fourth down that we don't expect, we go, oh, okay, that's analytics. A lot of the time it isn't. A lot of the time it's like 50-50, the model says maybe go for it, maybe don't. And the coach is deciding based off of the flow of the game, based off the way he's communicated with his team, based off his offense, their defense, the, the, the context that he feels on the field, he's deciding to go for it or not. So it's important for us, like when we go to like kind of understand the state of the league right now, it's important for us to understand there are models, they are publicly available, there are some models that teams have that are a little bit different, but generally the publicly available models are going to get a good picture of what each team is looking at. Yeah, It's going to give the coach a recommendation, and then the coach is going to make a choice. Some coaches are going to adhere to what the numbers tell them because they really have faith in it. Other coaches are going to use the numbers as cover to just kind of do what they, they want to do. And it's our job as football-consuming public to parse that, to say, like, all right, I think these guys are good coaches. They have good intuition, or they rely on the numbers, and we kind of like the way they do. And I think these coaches are bad coaches because I don't like the way they go about this. So it's never as cut and dry as, like, oh, that's the fourth down I didn't expect. It must be analytics. It's often a lot more nuanced than that. Yeah, and I, I love it because it always generates conversation. Like, if you think about it, when do you get texts from your friends or when do you start talking about something when you're watching a football game? Um, it, it's usually this, is whether or not they should go for it. It's why I love watching baseball playoffs, right, is deciding the bullpens. Like, it's the conversations that you have with your friends right now. And that has become uh, one of the biggest sticking points with, I think, football fans and football commentators right now is, like, when and when you shouldn't go with... Uh, a call on fourth down. And I think that what you said there about the cover is uh, 100% correct. And I also think that what we've been used to is being mad at coaches because of either emotion or a bad read, right? When they make an emotional call, that's when you're mad, whether it's a challenge or whether it's going for it on a fourth down when you kind of knew as a fan, or I guess shouldn't say knew, but you get your confirmation bias when it doesn't go your way. Um, that it wasn't the right time for something and that a coach didn't act with um, that clear head. And I think that's what bothers people ultimately, though, about the analytics thing. And I think that's why it sticks out with Staley especially. I can't remember who wrote the article. I'm just kind of... Uh, but there was a, a, a piece written, I think it might have even been by you guys. I don't think it was you, though, about Staley winning this way and that they had the organizational buy-in that this was going to be their approach throughout the season, that they were going to be very reliant on this model, that it wasn't like an always thing as much as people thought it was, but it was pretty damn near close. And if you look at the way that it sort of played out for them this season especially, is I think that's what fans are afraid of, is the rigidity of it, is that they always feel like, okay, you're going to go with this and it's going to take out the human element. And then you see guys like Keenan Allen you know, posting things about it with San... or I keep calling him San Diego, I will till I die. Uh, watching the Chargers game from home... And saying, what are we doing here? And, and I think that's where the, the fear is really rooted in the analytics discussion for most people, is that it's just as rigid as a coach's bad and emotional thinking. Yeah, no, it, it's something that requires consistent like vision and explanation and investigation and interrogation so that you kind of are able to grow over these issues of like, yeah, Keenan Allen tweeting about what is this team doing. The more coaches kind of push this boundary, uh, making decisions that have analytic support, that are kind of 50 50 on the analytics, but they like the aggressiveness of it, the more it's going to become normalized. And that's the main thing. Like the reason 
we care about this as much as we do as a football-consuming public is because it's weird. It's different than expectation. It surprises us. So we latch onto it. Well, a thing that I like to say is, like, all right, your coach made a bad fourth-down decision. You didn't like it. You think it was bad coaching. I'm here to tell you, your coach made bad coaching decisions the entire game. So they put in personnel he shouldn't have put in. He called a call. They didn't make any sense. He made bad coaching decisions all week. He didn't, you know, he, he didn't do a good job managing a, a, a personal issue between two guys in his locker room. You know, they should have taken a day off of practice to get rest, and they didn't. Like, coaches make 10 billion decisions every single day in the hopes of, of, making, of winning winning percentage, of gaining winning percentage in every single decision. And they very often make the wrong choice. We are used to coaches making knucklehead third and one calls. We are used to coaches benching a talented guy because they're upset with the way that he's practicing. We are used to coaches hiring uh, assistants with nepotism because they're just the guys that they know. We're accustomed to all these things, so we don't complain about it. Those decisions are just like the analyst decisions. They are not good decisions. They lower your win probability, and they need to be addressed if you're going to maximize your team chance of winning a game. So analytics is not going to be the same conversation in 10 years just because we're going to be so much more used to it that we'll find some other thing of newness, some other thing that we have visibility on to latch onto. That'll be the surprising thing. I can't wait. I can't wait for that. I will 100% be latching onto it. Um, how much do you put on the Chargers' struggles? Um, Staley as a coach, though. A decent amount. Um, Staley is responsible for fixing this defense. They went on a wild spending spree for this defense. The defense isn't fixed. Uh, there have been signs of the defense being really quality, um, but then they deal with their injuries and J.C. Jackson and what they expected them to be, and they didn't make any changes at linebacker, and linebacker was a weak spot for them last year, it was a weak spot for them this year. So a, a good amount of it goes clearly for the defensive side of the ball. On the, on the, uh, the, the decision-making aspect of it, I don't think Staley has been a massive limiting factor on the Chargers' ability to win games in terms of his fourth-down decisions. I do think that their situational ball is not nearly as good as it should be relative to how much they expected to go for it on fourth down. They're not a good short yardage running team, which you're going to go for on fourth down a lot. It would be something that you should prioritize. Staley also uh, hired his offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, who is a guy that he knew back from his time uh, at, at uh, Mount Union Division Three school. Uh, this is not a good hire. Lombardi has been a poor offensive designer for multiple years now with Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert's one of the lowest uh, ADOT passes in the league, so he throws shallow, close to the line of scrimmage, more than any of the other star quarterbacks do by a mile. They constantly play for second and medium. They play for third and short. They don't play for the explosive pass, which is not how you win in the NFL. Uh, and this is a result of how Lombardi designs his offense. And Staley is responsible for bringing that in and co-signing that approach, uh, knowing that he had kind of a Lamborghini a quarterback in Justin Herbert. It's really inexcusable. The Chargers are, are a good team. They're going to get healthier. They're going to get better. And I think Staley overall is a good coach, but it's not been a good year for him. Uh, and, and it's important that the defense turns things around and that the offense, for the second year in a row, gets a lot of scrutiny on the bye week. Why is it so simple? Why is it so shallow? Why are we not pushing the ball down the field more? That issue persists. It's on Staley to either move on from Joe Lombardi or get himself, himself get fired along with Joe Lombardi once ownership's patience runs out. Yeah, that, that's the part of it that drives me nuts, right, is I think that their defense has not been obviously nearly as good as we expected it to be, but, you know, that Broncos game in particular, it's just everything underneath. There's just way too much reliance on, hey, dump it off to Eckler, dump it off to Eckler, dump it off to Eckler. And I get it, Pat Sertan was playing against Mike Williams and they didn't have Keenan Allen, but he gets like basically one toss to him the entire game and he makes what might have been if they had challenged it like one of the catches yeah. of the season, right? Like it was just no down the field offense. And I'm going, isn't the whole Herbert thing 
that he's got a big arm. And I did wonder how it related to kind of your article, again, his ability to scramble and whether he really trusts that yet with the state of his ribs. And that we've seen him run a couple of times. I don't think it's as frequent as maybe they would want a guy with his athletic stature or his ability um, to be involved in that part of the game. But, yeah, the lack of downfield passing and explosivity to an offense that has that guy at quarterback – I just feel like, yeah, it's it's not just a weapons issue and it's not just a, okay, this guy got hit in the ribs and so he's not looking down the field as much because he's not holding on to the football. Um, it's funny when you mentioned all those bad coaching things, like when you went like nepotism and uh, benching players too soon. It's it's weird to think about the Patriots, <laughs> like especially since we were just yeah. celebrating Bill Belichick and we were just doing this whole thing of, hey, he's going to look what he's been able to do with Zappy and this is so great for them and they're just beating the brakes off of certain teams and scheming up for them extremely well. And then they have this, you know, Monday night game. They lose to the Bears, and he benches one of his quarterbacks after a couple of plays. Won't establish who the actual quarterback is. Is kind of trying to be coy about an ankle injury, even though Mac Jones, is, you know, ran for more yards than I think that he passed for in that game. Um, do you think that, like, obviously this is not working out very well because you have a fan base that's turned on uh, your first-round pick who just had a really quality rookie season. But do you actually think that this should in any way be an actual quarterback controversy? No. Uh, you drafted Mack in the first round, drafted Zappi in the fourth. Right. Zappi had a nice run as a backup. They were calling plays for him. They didn't call for Mack, right? Mack, they're trying to call this grown-up offense. You know, drop back, no play action, you know, uh, read it out, one to two to three, like, you know, big pocket pass with Drew Brees-style offense, Peyton Manning-style offense. Get Zappy in there, and they start running first down play action. They go under center. They run the crossing routes. all the stuff that we use to help middling quarterbacks that we've seen across the league for the past few years now. They put Matt back in against the, uh, against the Bears there, and it's kind of back to the Mac offense a little bit. They ran, like, one play action. It's like, oh, wow. So they, they have to call the good stuff for Matt. You still should help your quarterback, even if you invested more in him than you invest in the other guy. So the offensive coaching staff is responsible for adjusting what they, they do with Matt here because this is a, it's a little bit silly to be treating him the way they're treating him in his second year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, like, uh, Matt is more talented than Zappi. Uh, both don't have the best arm, but Matt is a better arm. Matt is a better mover. He's a better processor. He's great managing pocket. Like, I don't think Matt is an, an incredible quarterback. I don't think he's, like, you know, top – He's got like a top 10 quarterback season in him. But this is the guy who drafted 15 overall. You drafted a guy to, to be in the pocket, manage the throws, make some tight window throws, get the ball quickly to people underneath. And that was the offense that you decided for yourself when you drafted a quarterback with this skill set. Zappi is going to give you a lot of the similar things at a lesser degree. He's going to give you 80, 85% of max. Uh, I don't think that that's worth investigating to the point where you're benching your, your second year quarterback who still needs reps and time, time to develop with like a new play caller and yada, yada, whatever. So, to me, I don't think this is a quarterback controversy. I have no idea what uh, Bill Belichick is doing. So, we'll see. But to me, it's not a quarterback controversy at all. Yeah. um, He's a smaller guy who is not explosive, who has been getting the ball out well, I guess. But it's... Like, I, I don't know how anybody watching Zappy turned it into, you need to boo Mac Jones after a couple of throws because you desperately need to see Zappy play. Like, that has not been the experience for me. It's been, wow, this guy's doing much better than you think he would. I, I can't help from an outsider's perspective feel, but it's anything but this, is that that guy's doing what Belichick and co. want him to do and he's fully bought in. Like, there was some quote about how Belichick said that he sees what, like, Zappy sees what he sees out on the field. And that it's mm-hmm. Mac Jones was the guy that was struggling with the new offense in camp and a little bit trickled out about 
um, whether or not he loved it or not, or how comfortable he was with the new offense. And it's just like simply one guy who's embraced it. And one guy who's clearly more talented, uh, has better pedigree, um, is bigger, has a strong, like, I, I don't know what the Mac Jones thing is that Zappy is better than him at that. This is just simply a philosophical issue and that this is Belichick trying to prove a, a buy-in point. Yeah, my, my running joke on Belichick all season has been that he's, like, trying to play the game on challenge mode. Yeah. Like, after Brady left, <laughs> yeah. Belichick's been doing the weirdest stuff that I've ever seen. Just to, like, see how, how hard can he make it for himself and still make the playoffs. I respect like, it. That's the only thing that's left that's interesting to him, which is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But it's to your point where it's like, man, uh, I don't know. I, these, a lot of the Belichick decisions over the last two years have been surprising to me. Uh, I don't know what the end game is. I don't understand what he wants out of this process. Uh, like, obviously, intuitively, it's like a Super Bowl, it's a championship team, but he's not making a lot of the decisions that previously led to him having a Super Bowl, led to him having a championship team. So we'll see. Uh, I, 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 um, I, I don't understand what's happening in New England, which maybe is not a good thing for an analyst to say on a radio show. It's my job to understand what's going on, but I really don't understand what they're doing, and I'm curious to see how it continues to, to play out. Okay, so what's going on with the Bucks? Because... I think that obviously some of it ties to the conversation that we were having earlier about Matt Ryan, right? Where Tom Brady can still make the throws when he's in the pocket, but boy, if he takes sacks and for a guy that doesn't seem to want to get his hit or hit as much, uh, who also doesn't have a running game, which is something else that's been pointed out, I think by you, which is the importance of just having a running game right now to take some of that pressure off of the quarterback and to make sure that they can have those play action plays for EPA to make sure that they don't get hit as much. So they don't take as many sacks, but, um, yeah, we came into this Buck season with, hey, you should worry a little bit about their interior offensive line because it's a little bit of a trouble spot. But ultimately, look at the weapons that Tom Brady has. It still is Tom Brady. They're going to be able to get the ball out quickly. This offense should be fine. Scoring three points against the Carolina Panthers, like, your offense is not fine. It's in, it's a disaster. Um, yeah, sure, they can have some drops, but how how do you have this much talent, even with, again, maybe some of those issues on the interior line, and and look this bad? So uh, the, the early down run is a big part of it. Uh, Fournette just simply doesn't look as good as he has in pre- previous seasons. Fournette's really struggling this year. He looks like he's, his, his legs are gone a little bit. He's not as physical as he was, not as explosive as he was. So throw that in with, with the interior line issues, which have been really, really bad. Um, you know, they're starting third-round rookies, and, and uh, uh, it's, not what, it, it's not what you would hope even if you had a third-round rookie out there. It's been really, really rough. That interior running game is a problem. Uh, then they have the receiver injuries, right? We have to remember, like, middle of the, of the season, week three, week four to this point, there was a game where there was no Chris Godwin, no Julio Jones, no Mike Evans, right? They were signing Cole Beasley. They were, uh, uh, you know, a lot of reps for Scotty Miller, you know, trying to get Russell Gage moving. They just didn't have the pass-catching weapons. The final issue that I think has been understated is the issue with tight end. So much of their running game was predicated on Rob Gronkowski being a sixth offensive tackle. Rob Gronkowski is one of the best blocking tight ends we've ever seen in the, in the history of the league putting aside all the stuff that you can do as a receiver. Uh, without Gronk, they haven't gotten to their base running game, the runs that they typically like to use. They haven't gotten to it nearly as easily. Uh, Kyle Rudolph, Cade Otten, Cameron Bray, they, this, 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 even by committee, is not nearly enough to replace what they lost in Gronkowski. So you lose your base running game. You're still running in a ton on early downs. You're constantly getting into second and 10, second and nine, second and eight. You're playing behind the sticks. And then you have uh, Brady throwing it to uh, a series of receivers who are in and out of the lineup without as much success. They're also not throwing middle of the field as much as they used to. They used to be really good at, at, at running their early down runs and then going to play action and throwing in-breakers behind the linebackers. They haven't been able to find that this year, mostly because I think the running game is doing poorly. Mm-hmm. Defenses don't really respect the, the fear of the running game, so they're not biting on the play action as hard. 
Uh, and you're losing that intermediate middle of the field. So it's all like contested throws at the seam, contested throws to deep outside. It's just not a model for winning, even if Brady were playing at his peak. And Brady's athletically still good. Like the ball's still got a lot of zip. He's still an accurate quarterback. But it's, he's physically, like, you know, he is, he is a little bit worse than he has been in previous seasons. Not enough to explain it all away, but that's there. So combination of a lot of different factors. Uh, ben Solak, uh, again, really enjoy reading the work. I hope that everybody that's listening to this uh, goes and reads it too, because you will be a smarter football fan if you do. Uh, thanks for making time today, buddy. I really appreciate it. Of course. I'll tell you, I'll be well. Take care. Take care, man. Ben Solak of The Ringer. And yeah, um, I do usually find that when I read Ben's work, I look at something differently, which is a, about as high of a compliment as you can pay to a writer, uh, I think, as, you, as possible. And I think we've all come around on, oh, having a scrambling quarterback is good. I don't think we've all come around on it being great all the time because you see the discourse that's still around Lamar Jackson, a guy who we often criticize as still not being able to make the throws, even when he does oftentimes make a lot of the throws. Anyway, quick break, then what we missed. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. So Muzzin hits the LTIR, which was not surprising to anybody paying halfway attention. I guess the only positive is in a situation like this is they waited quite some time. Maybe they feel as though it is going to be 10 games. You obviously want to be especially cautious with a head injury, um, especially a guy that's accumulated a bunch of them with head and neck. I, I tweeted something to this effect yesterday, but it really is how I feel about Muzzin. It's it's really tough to evaluate Muzzin with the Leafs because he he's lost a step. He's not as fast as he once was. He's not as physical as he once was because clearly um, you start to have injuries pile up and you're, and you're not going to throw the body the same way. Plus, he's, what, 33, 34 years old? It's, it's a young man's game. He's not going to be chucking it around like he was when he was 27, 28 years old, or even when he first came to the Leafs and was hungry for a new contract and was a younger player. Like, he, he's not the guy the Leafs decided to give the $5.25 million to. He has been criticized a lot in the last year for his play and for his pairing with Justin Hall in particular, where it just it hasn't been good enough for the Leafs as a shutdown pairing. But they are also the the two guys that take the toughest matchups for the team. And they're not the two they're not two guys that take the toughest matchups because of Justin Hall's play. They're the guys that take it because of Jake Muzzin. And they still believe in him in front of their own net. They still believe in his play in their own zone. Even though he might get beat off the rush, I still trust Jake Muzzin more in a puck battle than any of the other Leafs defensemen. And now they just don't really have those guys. And so he can both have taken a step back, but he also leaves a like a pretty major hole on the Leafs' blue line. I think even a bit of a bigger one than people realize. Like, we're watching Justin Hall without him right now, and he was real bad in that Golden Knights game. And not anybody was good. Like, TJ Brody, who's usually quiet, got walked in that game multiple times. Morgan Riley's had his own struggles since he was a Maple Leaf in his own end. Um, Victor Mete's not winning puck battles in the corner. And Sandine, I think, is actually a little bit more physical than he gets credit for at times, but he's also not that guy. And Lilligren coming back is not him either. 
They just do not have that complexion on the blue line. And again, they like it. So losing Muzzin, there's a reason why people have felt it so much in the postseasons of the past. And you do have to really hope that he is going to be able to come back at some point because the only other option is a major trade. The only other option is that Dubas uses that cap space and goes out and does something of consequence. But that's a weird one too for the fan base because a lot of people don't think Dubas should be the general manager beyond this season. So you want that general manager deciding the future of some of your first round picks or even who should be built around this roster? Like this is what sucks about having a lame duck GM is this right here. I don't ever think that he's going to do something stupid to try to save his job. I've never thought Kyle Lewis was that guy. I think that that discussion standpoint or that discussion is just dumb. It's not even worth spending time on. This isn't the 1980s. This isn't, you know, someone trying to scrap and crawl for a playoff spot. Obviously not. But the position he's in to swing a trade to replace a guy like Muzzin is a fascination point. Look at what he had to give up to get Muzzin. Sean Dursey has turned into a bona fide top four guy on the right side. They had to give up Grundstrom, who was one of their best prospects at the time, a guy that the organization was extremely, extremely high on, and more, and a first. You're trusting Kyle Dubas to do that now? Mm. Has he earned that right with his trade history? Mm. But how do you leave that void? Because I don't know if it's just going to get filled by Jordy Ben. Anyways, uh, what do we miss, fellas? JD, um, we're talking about the Leafs. We'll stick with the Leafs. There's a growing narrative that Sheldon Keefe uh, may not be the guy for the team right now. And there's Barry Trotz is out there. And someone asked him about coaching an original six team. And it's the Cam and Strickland podcast. The Cam and Strickland podcast, yeah. Yeah, let's hear it. Would you want to coach in Canada? Is that something you would want to do? I mean, you've, you've been in Nashville and some of these You're other quieter now. cities. <laughs> would you ever want to deal with everything that comes with it? I don't know if you, if any coach that takes a job in Canada ever wants to deal with it. I think there's a, a you know, like original six for me, I, I've never coached original six. That would intrigue me, you know, um, cause I, you know, I grew up with, you know, those, those teams always intrigue you. Uh, but the Canadian teams, it, it, you're under the microscope, but you know, you sort of are in New York too. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say it wouldn't. But you you know that there's a certain demand on you. Like I know some of the Canadian coaches. God, you probably can't go anywhere. No. You know, you step out of a you step out of a restaurant and people are, are uh, on Twitter saying, you know, you're you're here or there. I don't have much of a life, so I think it takes a special um, special coach, special player to play in Canada because there's a hmm. different pressure than some of the non-traditional markets. You know. Yeah, there's clearly a different pressure, and we're seeing that with the way that Sheldon Keefe has responded to his own media availabilities. Yeah, it's it's harder to be a player and coach here when things are going poorly. I think that it's easier in a lot of ways when things are going well. I think that it's overstated at times how much, again, media impacts certain things, blah, 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 blah. Um, unless you really hate that stuff, unless you're a guy like Phil Kessel, where we get the story of, you know, he does, he's just, he hates going out to the podium. Uh, I don't think it's as big of a deal. I don't think that Austin Matthews is really sweating the media. Like, I just don't. I think that if you're a guy like some of the other players on this team, that maybe it does. But I think this is a fascinating clip for a couple of reasons. Um, he's asked the question, like they ask him, 
straight up. But would you coach here? Would you be intrigued by that? He's a coach that's out in the market right now. It makes sense that this question would be coming up. So you go, oh, he's just answering the question. Yeah, but he agreed to do the show. He agreed to do the show during a time when there are two coaches in Canada who are under that microscope he's talking about. <laughs> the seat is extremely hot. So I actually do think that this is very, I think that this is a something. I think that Trotz is trying to flan, uh, fan the flames a little bit here. That he knows if he says something like this, might end up on the old JD Bogus podcast. And he'd be fired up about that. That people are going to be talking about it. And they should be talking about it. Because honest to God, I, I, I don't think that Sheldon Keefe should be fired. But I do think that he's on the hot seat. And I don't think that this is a scenario where you're, you're walking into the middle of the season and things aren't going well. And Dubas made the point last year at the podium when he went, we think that Sheldon Keefe is the next Barry Trotz. We think that he is the next great coach or one of the next great coaches. Well, like a lot of all the great coaches get fired. Even Bill Belichick was fired. It doesn't need to be the right thing for your team in the moment to have this coach. Just because Keefe gets fired doesn't mean that Keefe is a bad coach. Associating those two things together is wrong. It's about who is the right coach for this team right now. And I don't think that the fan base, anybody in the fan base is sure right now or how the, how the hell you could be sure that is Sheldon Keefe. Anyway, Trotz is out there. Vancouver, Toronto, where's he going? Anyways, what's next? So this offseason, there's a lot of talk about the Lakers and Russell Westbrook and whether or not they were going to try to move him, but he had a huge contract and he wasn't playing well. And so from Tony Jones from The Athletic, he reported that the Utah Jazz offered Boyan Bogdanovich, Rudy Gay, Mike Conley, and a first-round pick mm-hmm. for Russell Westbrook and two firsts. Now, the Lakers need shooting, and Russ is shooting 8% from three this year. Yeah. And all three of those guys have proven they can be shooters. Yeah, Rudy Gay, not so much, but yeah. Um, He's shooting 45% from three this year. That's nice. That is pretty nice. Bogdanovich is 52% too. Yeah, like I, it, I don't know how much. Yeah, we're four games into the season. Yeah. Uh, Rudy Gay, how many threes has he shot? Um, not that many. Yeah, I'll tell you that. I was going to say. Not that many. <laughs> He's probably shot four. Um, either way, they're going to trade Russell Westbrook, and they're going to have to trade two first to get off the contract. And I think that what happened here pretty clearly is that the Lakers looked at this and maybe thought, how else are you going to do better? Or that this trade is going to be there for us later, but then Bogdanovich gets moved. And now you're not doing this for Mike Connolly and Rudy Gay. Like, no way. That doesn't change the ceiling at all. Bogdanovich is the best player in that trade or the most meaningful player for what the Lakers would need right now. Connolly's good, but hasn't been able to stay healthy, older player. And eventually, at some point, you got to figure that the Jazz are going to move him for far less than, you know, what the Lakers are commanding. The getting off the Russell Westbrook thing is the major. How mm-hmm. do you get him out of your lineup? And the, the wild thing is the Lakers just, it's, this isn't a situation where you go, oh, you got to get Russ out of the lineup so they can play X. That's the problem with this is he's so bad and you can't even justify playing other guys other than him because the rest of their team is so bad. Anyway, that looks like a bit of a disaster. And if that is reported and I trust Tony Jones, then they have to compare that to the rest of whatever the Lakers do here. And yeah, I just... It's, it's hard for me to envision a scenario where they outdo that with a Russell Westbrook trade, especially as teams see this thing get worse and worse and worse and worse, and the pressure only rises on the Lakers, not the rest of the league. What's next? JD, sad news. Uh, the dirtiest man alive has died. <laughs> okay, what does that mean? 
Um, he uh, didn't shower <laughs> like, for 60 years. Okay, apparently. that kind of dirty. Okay, yeah, got that it. type of dirty. He yeah. had a layer, a crust layer, okay. on his skin. Apparently, he uh, would drink out of puddles and smoke animal feces out of a okay, pipe. Okay, that's too much. That's <laughs> too relative. Oh, I, sorry. Yeah, but uh, he's dirtiest man. Smoking yeah. animal poop. Yeah, and yeah. he uh, he's passed away. <laughs> just wanted to hear your thoughts. Was he trying to be the world's dirtiest man? <laughs> or was he just the dirtiest man? Like, they, how'd they find this guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. He passed away after he showered uh, a shock. A shock no to way. his system. No, Well, no. it was a Barstool report, so uh, no, we don't know. There's I no way more, that was I the cause I need more details on this guy. You guys got to bring me more details. <laughs> like, I can't just have world dirtiest guy dies. I have too many questions about this dude. Is Why was he so dirty? Was he trying to be dirty? Did they go out and search for other dirty dudes? 60 years, no shower. 60 also, years. Also, how are you documenting that? You're just taking the old dirty man by his words? I just don't trust this. Anyway, yeah, he died at what age? Uh, 94. 94. Yeah. 94 years old. Hmm. See? Maybe there's a secret there, you know? No, this is proof of vanity, okay? Because everybody's always looking for the next great health tip. And we should be studying this guy. 94? Crust layer, he believed smoking that soap, poop. He believed that soap would <laughs> make him drink. sick. And guess what? Who are you to say that it wouldn't? Who are know. you to say that it wouldn't? He lived in 94. You guys think you're making 94? Hell no. I'm not making 94. Oh, Austin, no, no. shot. <laughs> Austin, no way. Uh, I think, Pete, you probably got the best shot at living the I longest feel like life. Me and Joe have a chance, and Austin, like ninety four. Like, no, I feel like anything no. lower than you 80s, kidding me? These no, no, no <laughs> chance. You, Pete, you're the only one in this room that's making ninety four. There's no question. Joe Bo's lungs are all vaped out. You no, know? Joe has an advantage of like what? modern medicine. You know, like this is like uh, you guys. Oh, that's so sweet. You guys are there. You're yeah, like, don't we're vape. gonna live forever. We're gonna robot yeah. forever. I don't vape. Like, I don't you vape. hear how he said that? You said that like I was your dad. Like I, I caught you. I will say you. though, this guy, he was unmarried as well. I don't think that comes as a surprise. Huh. Usually, they say people who are married live longer. That, this guy's that, bucking all the saying. trends. He's he's going against everything. He's yeah. going against the grain here. What do you got? What does Austin have? Uh, that just people in the village would say that. Emotional setbacks in his youth led him to refuse to wash. Uh, that's well, oh, yeah, you think? <laughs> so sad. Oh, this guy, the world's dirtiest man, 60 years, no shower, had a troubled childhood. Yeah, uh, I, uh, that's the, pro, the, the clubhouse leader. Anyway, uh, shout out to the world's dirtiest man. 94, what a life. Uh, no, he's, you took no wife. <laughs> You smoked all the poop you wanted. <laughs> That's unconfirmed by Pete, by the way. I don't. I think he could have smoked better things. Let's just say it. Like I, I think that that's that's the clear attempt that you're doing too much. Cross layer. Live till ninety four. Shout out to him. What's next? Uh, Aaron Judge, obviously the topic of discussion. Yankees did. I think it was like a mm -hmm. locker room cleanout type thing. Yeah. Um, and he spoke about his contract negotiations. Is it still to remain a Yankee? What's that? Your goal is still to remain a Yankee as you've expressed in the past. Yeah, I've, you know, been clear about that, you know, since I first wore the pinstripes. But, you know, we couldn't get something done before spring training. And, you know, I'm a free agent. We'll see what happens. I love this. I love this so much. Uh, I hope there's Yankees fans listening to this right now. Um, okay, so I actually don't think that the Yankees did anything wrong. They offered Aaron Judge a ton of money, and he said, no, thank you. 
Like, the Yankees didn't offer Aaron Judge a pittance. They didn't try to lowball Aaron Judge. They gave him market value for a superstar in Major League Baseball before the season started. He turned it down. He thought he could do better. He did. Why is he acting all pissy in the media? Like, what, what is your, what's your issue right now? Are you mad at the fans that booed you? Because they care and there's accountability in New York. One thing I'll say about Yankees fans is like, yeah, okay, Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs. Leaf fans could learn a little bit from them at times. Like, yeah, guess what? Austin Matthews scores a lot of regular season goals. Where's the elimination game goals? And it was, oh, you're the GOAT. You're the GOAT. Don't ever make fun of Austin Matthews. Don't ever say anything bad about Austin Matthews, bro. Pete's in here wearing literally Austin Matthews merch. <laughs> Guys never won him a playoff series. Pete's like, I'll buy your Oats hat for $100. It's two. Yeah. It's coming. JD, it's coming. All in good yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. It's coming. You guys have been saying that a lot. Um, my point is, is that I think he's being sour grapes, and I actually think that Aaron Judge being a little bit of a baby. Dude, they offered you a ton of money. I get it. You want to go to free agency. You want to maximize your dollars. But I will say this, too. Aaron Judge leaves the Yankees. is a bit of a loser move. You know that playing in New York, you're a somebody. You know that you go down as a legend. You think that the home runs mattered if he was playing for the Giants who were reportedly going to bid for him? Hell no, dog. It's because you're in the pinstripes. You play for the one team where other markets care. They're forced to care, but we still care. So, yeah, Aaron Judge, stop being a baby and pretending like the Yankees didn't want to give you any money. The, the contract they proposed was seven years, $213 million. And with arbitration, would make it $230 million. That's what I'm saying. So what? Give them $300 mil. If the Yankees offer you the same amount of money, Aaron Judge, you, and you spurn them, I think you're going to be a loser forever. As much as I want him to do it from a Blue Jays fan standpoint, yeah, anyway. I also don't think the Aaron Judge contract is going to, like, he's not going to hold up like some of these other guys. Like, that, that contract's going to be bad in a, couple of se- in a few years. How anyway, much do you think he's going to get? He's going to get over three. Over three? Yeah. I mean, I, I he's the home run king right now. He's in the perfect spot, and a mm-hmm. bunch of teams want him. You said the Giants? Yeah, NJ.com is saying uh, that a person within the organization, the Giants organization, saying they won't be outbid. That That is, um, like, that sounds like a powerful quote, like they're going to get him. But yeah. the real way that quote is, though, is, hey, we're not going to miss out on this guy because of money. Mm-hmm. We're going to miss out on this guy because he decides to go back to New York, if anything, right? Right, right. That it's not... You know, we're getting them. We're like, we won't be outbid. You think about that, like your, your free agent auction league mm-hmm. in fantasy sports, but it's not that. It's just that this dude is just like that organization is going to spend some cash. I think that part of the Yankees thing is that they are going to have to spend real money. They have to be the Yankees again. They got to stop screwing around with all this, like, oh, we got a prospect. Oh, we got to, like, we brought someone in and we decided to pay some extra money. It's like, no, no, no. You guys got to go out and get like Edwin Diaz. You got to bring back Judge. You got to go get Correa, like I mentioned. They got to have a huge offseason. I hope they don't because I hope the Jays win the World Series and not them. Anyways, we'll catch you tomorrow.